Alrighty, and uh, welcome in everybody here. A little technical difficulties off the top as usual, but we are up and running here on a Tuesday night on YouTube. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you. Uh, you can subscribe Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you find that Dog Nation uh, podcast feed. Greatly appreciate it. My name is Connor Riley. We are talking some Georgia football, obviously the NFL draft this past weekend. We're not going to touch too much on that tonight. We're going to actually look ahead to a couple other things, some other news and notes out there. Uh, you know, Obviously, nine players get taken in the draft. We'll recap some of the latest news around Georgia off the top here. Nine players get taken program record, six in the first three rounds. Only one first rounder in Eric Stokes and... Personally speaking, that's a little disappointing, especially when you see that Alabama just produced six first-round draft picks. But Georgia is only going to continue to develop talent. The, the narrative that Kirby Smart does not develop talent or can't uh, is pretty clearly no longer existent. 23 players produced over the last three years. It's the most in any three-year cycle uh, in the Georgia program history. Uh, in shifting gears here a little bit, moving away from the NFL draft, Brian Kemp announces today that he is going to sign an NIL bill into Law on Thursday, just outside of Sanford Stadium. That is not a coincidence. Georgia absolutely knows how important this NLI bill is to recruits and the ability for them to start making money and advertising themselves. Tyler Booker, a four-star offensive line crew in particular, he has mentioned the importance of Florida having that NLI bill in their pitch to him. And so now Georgia has that in their pocket as well. I believe they will join Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, and New Mexico with states that will have these NLI bills going into effect starting July 1st, and it'll be interesting to see what the NCAA and what the federal level decides to do with this NLI bill, but Georgia will have its own. That will be an advantage of sorts to the Georgia program as they're able to pitch that in recruiting and say, hey, we as a state, we as a program have taken this seriously and understand that this is the future of where college football is going and how it is going to evolve. And so we sort of touch on the two things there, the draft, the NLI bill, my name is Connor Riley. This is Connor in Coverage. We do this every Tuesday night on YouTube. You can watch along live. We also put this out there as a podcast. It'll be in your feeds when you wake up Wednesday morning. Or if you're a late bird like me, it'll be up around midnight on Tuesday night. But before going any further, I was originally going to lead talking about Georgia Clemson tonight. There was a you know top 25 piece put out today by Mark Schleyball. He had leapfrog Georgia over Clemson. So all prepared to talk about that. And then at the 11th hour, as sometimes is the case here, there was a, I don't know if this is news, but it's certainly something. So as I wrote today in my Good Day UGA, the college football offseason is dead. There, there is no more offseason, in part because of the, in this year in particular, the changes to the recruiting calendar that will allow visits to occur once again starting June 1st. But also this year, you now have the transfer portal and the one-time transfer rule being officially official. And players can transfer and now they will no longer have to set out a year so long as within as it affects Georgia is not within the SEC and so you've already seen I believe now nine players have entered the transfer portal that were on Georgia's team last year the latest to do that came on Monday when Major Burns I would say maybe a little surprisingly announces that he's going to enter the transfer portal he was someone who probably wasn't going to start this year but was going to be a key depth piece and someone who you look a year from now Louis Seen is a possible early entrant Christopher Smith is a senior as well. Safety was going to be an issue next year for Georgia, and Major Burns, a four-star player, someone who got some first-team reps when, obviously, Louis Seen ejected and Richard LeCount had to leave the Florida game, but someone who, you know, this isn't a sort of shrug your shoulders, uh, he wasn't going to be a starter loss. This is an interesting defection, and it'll be interesting to see where Burns ends up. I know LSU 
had been mentioned as an online chatter team to watch there with his with him, especially just given the ties he has to Louisiana. He is from the city of Baton Rouge, was a one-time LSU commit. And so that's sort of just going to be a regular staple now going forward. And obviously this year it's a little different in the fact that players have until July 1st to notify their schools that they are transferring and thus be eligible. Going forward in years after this, it is going to be May 1st. So theoretically, in a more normal year, Burns would not have made the cutoff for that May 1st date. But... This sort of just goes to show you that living with transfer portal potential guys and when these guys might decide to leave, that's going to be a thing, almost, I don't want to say daily occurrence, but a weekly occurrence of, hey, so-and-so, there's rumors and stuff online out there. And you've even seen two examples, you know, over the weekend prior to Burns transferring, it had been rumored that a Georgia defensive player was going to go in the portal. Uh, Burns was not expected to be that name. And one name that had sort of gotten thrown out there completely unfairly, I might add, is that of Mikhail Sherman. And Sherman's sister goes out there on, I believe this was Sunday, puts this out there Sunday afternoon uh, to the Scallywack. You started the rumor that Juiced Up K9, that is Sherman's Twitter handle, is entering the portal. ULI, remember, we were the first family to sign in December of 19 for the class of 2020. Dog Nation, keep calm. We are a 100 family. Uh, flexing emoji. This is home. We're going to leave the club. The party just got, how are we going to leave the club? The party just got started. And, and even, you know, 20 minutes before this show starts, you have another example of that where social media sort of runs wild for a little bit. It was quickly put down, but you know, Carson Beck had put out a, a, a tweet out there that is just a yo and, and then the two finger piece emoji. Well, Georgia fans being, and really, this isn't to single out Georgia fans. I think most big time college football programs would do this when a player of Beck's caliber, someone who looked good on G Day and figures to not unrealistically potentially be Georgia's starting quarterback come the 2022 season, puts out a yo peace sign. People start wondering and freaking out. Oh, is he transferring? Where is he going? All this, that, and the other. Well, it didn't take very long, A, for Beck to delete the tweet, but C, B, for Tate Rattlers to follow up rather perfectly, I might add, and say, he's not leaving. Calm down. And, and then shortly thereafter, Beck deletes that original tweet with the wrong emoji and puts up one that has the Georgia Bulldog emoji in there or just the generic dog emoji, depending on how you view that. So, again, this all sort of goes to show, and I wrote about this this morning, there is no longer an offseason when it comes to college football. This, with the transfer portal in the way that it is now, you know, you usually think, oh, after spring practice, you do get a little bit of a reprieve. That's not going to be the case anymore. Players are going to be entering the portal right after spring practice ends because of that May 1st deadline. And this is something you're going to see teams balance in Georgia in particular. You know, traditionally, they've had that third week in in April, that spring game. I wonder going forward, that'll probably stay because that's where Georgia is. Is but you have a bunch of other programs out there. You know, I think Oregon had a spring game this weekend. Um, I know Stanford's theirs isn't until May twenty second. That have these later spring games that you're probably going to see spring practice get moved up even further, so that these guys can have a better idea of where they stand, play that spring game, and sort of see where they might be, so that they can ultimately trust to test the transfer portal i know brandon adams talked about this on his show on dog nation daily this morning and, and the reality is you know in ba is pretty clearly not a fan of I mean, that's understandable um this is just going to be what college football is at least for the next couple of years as we get adjusted to the transfer portal and what it what it means what it looks like and you're going to have guys who you thought hey might be solid contributors or, or might be key depth pieces that eventually develop into starters down the line that, hey, they're going to consider the transfer portal for a variety of reasons. I know Burns in particular, you know, his father tragically passes away in 2018. I can imagine he wants to be closer to his family, and if LSU has an opportunity for him to go in and play there, 
I, you know, it's hard for me to sit here and, and say, hey, you know, he should ignore that. No, I mean, if LSU has an opportunity and opening at safety, which it sounds like they do, Burns should absolutely be able to pursue that and play right away. Now, it'll be interesting to see within the SEC how stingent they are to to adhering to their no interconference transfers rules. As of right now, that SEC still has that rule where if you transfer from, say, Georgia to LSU, Georgia to Ole Miss, Georgia to Tennessee, per se, or vice versa, that you will have to sit out a season. Uh, a couple conferences have already gone ahead and changed this. The ACC said so. The Big 12 said so. The American Athletic Conference said so. The Pac-12, I think, is leaning in the direction of doing that. And it'll be interesting to see you know, how long does the SEC and I believe the Big 10 as well sort of stay in there and decide to say, hey, this is something we want to put our foot down on. Because the reality is a team like Georgia, as demonstrated, is going to lose more often than not in these situations. There are going to be a lot more guys who say, well, all right, I might not be able to play at Georgia right now, but I know I'm good enough to go play at Ole Miss. You look at Otis Reese a year ago, you know, missed the first part of the season as they were sorting out his eligibility. He's starting right away for that Ole Miss team. You know, there are plenty of other guys that can go out there and do that. And the reality is there aren't going to be a ton of guys who want to leave their school and come try and compete and do it at Georgia when, A, there are big recruits behind them, and, B, if you're playing at an SEC level, NFL teams are going to find you. You know, Vanderbilt had a second-round pick this weekend, and they didn't win a game last year. And that Vanderbilt player tore his Achilles. So I, I think, you know, this transfer rule and how specifically with the SEC, how it gets sorted out, is going to be really something to watch and monitor especially in the month of May. I know the SEC has said they will not have their usual spring meetings as they have in years past, obviously not last year with COVID, but it'll be interesting to watch going forward how this all continues to develop and ultimately where things go from here as we sort of just get adjusted and acclimated to this new transfer portal. Obviously in college basketball, Georgia's had a number of players enter the portal and they're not alone in that. Uh, I believe last count, there was over 1,500 players in the college basketball transfer portal. You know, as we get more adjusted to it, I do think that number will go down as players sort of see, okay, these are the prats and pitfalls of entering the transfer portal, and you might lose a scholarship, you might not be able to play right away, you might have to go down a level. So, I, you know, it's the new in vogue thing right now, but I imagine three, four years from now, I, I don't think it's going to be a complete bonanza with everyone opening up and going anywhere. I do think it'll calm down a little bit, but, you know, in this new age that we're all currently living through, I mean, you've seen Burns surprisingly enter, and then the rumors with Beck and Sherman, who they're clearly dogs. They're not going anywhere as of right now. You know, it doesn't mean eventually this can't become this can't come back, and they might decide to transfer again. But those are guys who are, are going to want to stay in the program and develop. And while yes, Burns himself was a 2020 signee, Beck has a ton to play for, and, and could very easily be the starting quarterback for next year's team. Sherman as well has a great opportunity in front of him, maybe not necessarily this season, especially as he spent the spring recovering from from labrum surgery, but Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson could very well be in the NFL next year, and Sherman figures to be a, a key player at that jack position for Georgia going forward. So the, both those guys, maybe perhaps similarly to Burns, you know, potentially could go try and find playing time elsewhere, but they've made it clear right now that they're willing to stick it out and ultimately see where that ends up leading them. So that wasn't necessarily what we were going to talk about off the top of the show tonight. It was going to be my third and closing argument, but we figure with the, with the Carson Beck and Tate Ratliff's tweets, we figure why not be flexible, be adaptable, change and, and change on the fly here. And really just go on to show that there is no longer an off season in college football. This is something we're going to have to monitor and fans are certainly going to monitor throughout the course of the year, where guys are, what the rumblings are, where players might potentially go based on things going on at those other programs. And that's just sort of the reality of college football for the next three years. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, three, four years from now where the transfer portal is and how that impacts things. Uh, I, I know 
when the college football playoff was invented, nobody really thought that would give rise to the uh, players opting out of bowl games, but that was one of the unintended consequences of that, and I'm sure the transfer portal will have plenty of unintended consequences of its own. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops and, you know, loss of an offseason. College football really now is a, a 365, 24-7 sport with recruiting and then essentially re-recruiting with the transfer portal. So that's our first topic for tonight, sort of leading things off there with the death of the offseason. Uh, you know, someone who works in college football – yeah, I, I never really had an off season anyway. It was always sort of grind, grind, grind. And, and even in the non-busy months of May, June, July, sometimes those are even harder just because you're trying to think of things in, uh, to write about and content to come up with. Whereas in season, you have a pretty consistent idea of what you might be getting. So, you know, it's not all that much of a change for me. So that'll be our first topic of the night. Uh, my name is Connor Riley. We'll answer some of your questions here at the end of the show. We've got uh, two more topics I want to get to tonight. One talking about sort of the now or never narrative that has continued to develop and, and be used around Georgia. And then we'll end with JT Daniels a little, a little bit as well here. Go ahead and get your questions in on YouTube. I will do my best to answer them. Uh, but moving on here into what was originally supposed to be our first topic, but will be our second topic of the night. Uh, the season opening game against Clemson. Um, it's... <laughs> It's certainly bigger than the Notre Dame games were in terms of what they mean to the Georgia team within this season. You know, that Notre Dame game, as important as it was in retrospect, was not necessarily the big game, certainly that Georgia Clemson will be to start the year. And then even that 2019 game where it was in Athens, Georgia was a comfortable favorite in that game. And while that game was maybe a little bit closer than the experts in Vegas expected, I do ultimately think that Georgia was always going to win that game. You can't say that with this Clemson game because I think these two teams are incredibly even on paper. You know, Mark Schleyball today came out with his uh, updated post-spring uh, top 25 rankings. He is Georgia at number three. He has Clemson at number four. I believe Stuart Mandel has Georgia at number two and Clemson at number four as well. So these two teams are about as close to they as you get into you know what they might potentially be. And I think they stack up incredibly similarly on paper. They have two quarterbacks in JT Daniels and DJ Uyunglele who in small sample sizes last year shine, and you figure with more room to grow and do things this season in a more normal offseason, these guys figure to take steps forward. And by the end of the year, potentially be two of the best quarterbacks in the country. They have dominant defensive lines. You know, Georgia and Clemson probably, in my opinion right now, have the number one and number two defensive lines in the country in terms of what they bring back and the talent and potential they have to get even better from the end of last season. You even look at some of their concerns. Uh, I think Clemson, it's their offensive line and their secondary. Georgia's right now, it's that secondary and that offensive line. Now, I think Georgia does have a little bit of an edge at the skill position spot. Certainly at running back, obviously, Travis Etienne goes in the first round of the NFL draft last week, whereas Georgia brings back Kendall, uh, Kendall Milton, Zamir White, James Cook. Now, Georgia does have to replace George Pickens, but Clemson has to replace... <laughs> Oh boy. Clemson has to replace their first three, their top three pass catchers from a season ago as well. So, you know, I, I get now why, even with the loss of Pickens, you see Georgia inch a little bit ahead there of Clemson. Uh, we'll pull up one thing here, and this sort of ties it into the whole now or never narrative because uh, Schleyball moved Georgia up over Clemson. Clemson was originally the number one team in Schleyball's rankings that dropped a little bit. And part of the reason here is Schleyball goes on to explain. Georgia's national championship drop is at 41 years and counting, and it's starting to feel like it's now or never for the Bulldogs. If they can rebuild the back end of their typically stingy defense, they should be in the mix for their first CFP appearance since 2017. Georgia coach Kirby Smart addressed one of the holes in the secondary by securing the former West Virginia safety, Tyke Smith. And now 
yes, that Smith edition is going to be big, especially with all that Georgia lost in its secondary four players drafted out of that secondary in last week's NFL draft. Dyke Smith already an All-American in West Virginia. I'll be interested and exciting to see what he ultimately does here at Georgia. But it's that first section that really caught my eye there in that now-or-never narrative because Schleyball is not the first person who suggests this, that, hey, if there's, it's now or it's never going to happen for Kirby Smart at Georgia. And the reality is that that couldn't be farther from the truth. Georgia has a wide-open window, I think, in terms of competing for and contending for a national title. You know, Kirby, over the last three years, has put 23 players into the NFL draft. That is elite-level development. I think the only teams that have done more are LSU, Ohio State, and Alabama. So Georgia is clearly developing talent. When you have that, you're ultimately going to be able to contend for college football playoff spots and hopefully national championships. And I think specifically the development of Daniels and as well as Georgia continues to recruit at the quarterback position leads me to believe that Kirby has at least sort of started to figure out, hey, this is how you have to win at the college football level with just offense being first nowadays. He saw their defense adapt a little bit to that last year, creating more pressures, tackles for loss, and sacks than they traditionally had. And so going forward, I think that's going to be something you continue to see here. But this now or never narrative, it's unfortunately for Georgia fans who I can tell are already sick of it, it's not going anywhere. And that Clemson game in particular, that first game, September 4th in Charlotte, Dog Nation will be there. Hopefully it's a full stadium. It, you know, Some cities and states, I know uh, Georgia itself has opened it up already. And I believe the state of North Carolina is going to lift all COVID restrictions starting June 1st. That game is going to go so much more in establishing that now or never narrative that is already existing because if you win that game, one, Georgia will be the number one team in the country starting week two. Now, Ohio State plays Oregon that week. There are a couple other big games. I know Alabama opens with Miami. But Georgia gets that feather in the cap week one. They're going to be the team to beat, in my opinion, at least from the national narrative perspective, to start the 2021 season. You will have a chance to make a statement against one of the perceived best teams in the country. And to win that game, I think JT Daniels is going to have to play pretty well. So if he goes out and does that, that only builds that, hey, Georgia might have this guy, the, the Joe Burrow, the Matt Jones, the guy that can lead them to a national title. He went out and beat a playoff caliber team in Clemson. So if you win that game, it, it does sort of you know expound upon that. And furthermore, it's going to set the tone for the rest of the season because – from there, it's going to be, all right, well, Georgia's playing against itself in the sense that, all right, they beat Clemson. They're clearly one of the best teams in the country. Now they need to go out and take care of business every week against an SEC, and their SEC schedule in particular I think is a little down compared to where maybe it has been in years past, certainly a year ago when they had to go play Alabama in Tuscaloosa. So it'll change the narrative, and you know, winning that game affords you a great luxury of, hey, even if you get to the SEC championship game and you're undefeated and you have that win in your cap, you can probably afford to lose in that SEC championship game and still make the playoff. Obviously, you don't want that to happen, but that's just the reality of what we're living in. You saw Notre Dame do this a season ago where they had that regular season win over Clemson and ultimately didn't end up impacting them as far as getting into the college football playoff. On the other side, if you lose that first game against Clemson, the critics are going to say, oh, well, if you can't do it in a year where Clemson has to replace their quarterback, where Alabama and Ohio State, that your, your theoretical neighbors in terms of competing for championships, all have to replace their quarterbacks and all have staff turnover. If you're not going to do it this year, boy, it, it, you know, when is it going to happen? And ultimately, again, as we've said here before and I continue to say, Georgia's championship window is not going anywhere under, under Kirby Smart right now. He has continued to develop. He is shoring up some of the deficiencies and issues that he had early on in his career. You look at the wide receiver position room, even with George Pickens injured, this room has way more talent than it did 
maybe other than the 2018 season is the only one that I can come to mind where the wide receiver talent might be equal. But the potential for this offense is sky high this season, maybe higher than it has ever been under Georgia, under Kirby Smart, I should say there. And so while, yes, you lose that first game, you're not going to play a team on the rest of your schedule that matches up to you in, in terms of contending for a playoff. I know Florida, some people might throw them out there. Florida's the only other ranked team that appeared in, in Schleyball's rankings, and they're number 17. And, and again, they're going to be completely different from what they were a season ago where they were throwing the ball around with Kyle Trask a lot. Emmy Jones just is not going to be that kind of player. They're going to want to run the ball, and Florida didn't run the ball that well a season ago, and part of that I think can be chalked up to their offensive line. Now, Emmy Jones obviously a dynamic athlete, so it'll be interesting to see how much Florida changes there, but the reality is Georgia should beat Florida this year pretty convincingly, in my opinion, at least as we sit here on May 4th to be with you. So, again, this now or never narrative, it's not going anywhere. It's something that's going to follow Georgia throughout the season because win or lose that Clemson game, Georgia's season is still going to go on much longer than that, even if that game is far and away the most important regular season game. So with Georgia, yeah, it's going to be annoying, and I'm sure you guys are already sick of hearing, oh, it's now or never for Kirby Smart. And as that Clemson game gets closer and closer, that, that those cries – that talking point from the media is only going to get louder. And after the words, we'll have the whole recap of what it means, where it can go. And the reality is it's just one game on their schedule. We're just still going to have to take care of business the rest of the way and ultimately get it, win its way into the college football playoff. That means beating Auburn, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and everyone. And hopefully at the end of the year, that means winning the SEC championship game because as big as this Clemson game is, there's a chance Clemson's the highest ranked team Georgia sees on its schedule this season. If Georgia beats an Alabama team that, yes, first-year quarterback and Bryce Young, Alabama's still going to be spectacularly talented. That game is still going to have a ton of meaning to Georgia. And if you're able to do it in that game and beat Bryce Young and beat Alabama, that's going to go a long way. Sort of answering the now or never category and really showing what you can do. You know, Lincoln Riley's not dealing with the same sort of talk around there down in Oklahoma. And I think the biggest reason why is because he's shown that he's capable of continuing to develop elite quarterback play even though you know the defense just has never really come around there at Oklahoma at this point in time. So, again, you know, Kirby Smart coming from that Nick Saban line, having to match up with Alabama every year, it's an easy narrative to perform. They're going to play the biggest and best teams in the country on a yearly basis going forward now, Clemson being one of them. We're going to see them six times over the next 12 years. So this now or never narrative, it's not going anywhere. It's something you're going to hear all offseason. It's something you're going to hear, I think, a lot in the lead-up to that game against Clemson. And then after that game, it'll go on the back burner a little bit. And as Georgia gets deeper and deeper into its season and closer and closer to a potential SEC championship, that's ultimately where this all ends up leading to. But that's something that's not going anywhere. And ultimately, I point to the Schleyball thing where even though he has Georgia above Clemson and Stuart Mandela, the athletic, has Georgia at number two, it's something Georgia's going to continue to hear until ultimately they go out there and do it and beat a Clemson, beat an Alabama, win a national championship. And so it's not a now or never narrative. It's just something that they wants to be spun right now and it happens to stick to this Georgia program. So that's just sort of where it is with this now or never narrative. But that's our second topic for tonight. Go ahead, put your questions in there on YouTube. I'll do my best to answer them at the end of the show. Thanks for everyone tuning in again. Again, this is Connor and Coverage. We do this every Tuesday night, YouTube, 8 o'clock-ish. I usually try to get here right at 8. Sometimes I'm not successful in doing so, but we're trying. Uh, and then, obviously, you can listen to this on the podcast form. I'll post up on the website tomorrow morning. So, again, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you got questions, go ahead and ask away. I'll do my best to answer them, whatever you guys want to talk about. 
Uh, and then moving on to our final subject here. This is a little drafty. I know we said we wouldn't go too much into it, but this is more looking forward than looking back. And JT Daniels, I know Brandon had talked about this on a show today, mentioning that one site, uh, Fox Sports, Jason McIntyre, had him as the number one overall pick for the 2022 NFL draft. And you look at recent national championship winners, Mac Jones goes in the first round, Trevor Lawrence goes in the first round. Um, Tua Tonga Bailoa goes in the first round. Joe Burrow goes in the first round. These guys all had first-round quarterbacks, and so Georgia's going to need JT Daniels to become that if they're going to get to where they want to go, and ultimately that is a national title. So you know, Daniels, yes, excelled, I think, in those four games that you saw there at the end of the season. Four wins, beating Mississippi State, Cincinnati, Missouri and South Carolina, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions, really just brought this Georgia offense to life and is able to grow and continue to get better over the course of the 2021 season. He's only going to continue to move up draft boards. I did find it pretty interesting, though. While, yes, McIntyre had him as the number one overall quarterback, more often than not, Daniels was not the first quarterback off the board. It was more the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board. I pulled a little bit of projections from where they are based on various sites. You see NJ.com had as the number 15 overall player, Cleveland at number 14, Barstool at number 16, Bleacher Report there at number 10. For the most part, JT Daniels isn't going in the top 10 of quarterback rankings right now. And quite frankly, it's a little easy to understand why. First, again, four-game sample size last season. They want to see what he continues to do is continues to develop. He's got, I think, 15 career starts. He goes out there, plays an excellent season, gets a 15-game season. That's 30 starts. He's going to meet the criteria there. And ultimately, I believe, shown what needs to be shown for him to be a first-round quarterback in terms of talent. The other reason I believe that you're not seeing him at the top of the draft board compared to guys like Sam Howell and, and Spencer Rattler is – he has had multiple knee surgeries, and you look at a guy like Aziz Ojolaria this last week who had a high school injury, knee injury, never missed a game at Georgia in his final two seasons there, and ultimately ends up sliding a little bit because of health concerns. I think that's absolutely going to be something to monitor going forward with Daniels and, and comparing him to some of the other guys. If it's even, so to speak, or close between, say, a Rattler and a, and a Daniels or a Howell and a Daniels, the injury history that JT has might lean teams towards picking, say, a Rattler or a Howe. Now, that doesn't go to say that I would still pick JT Daniels over every one of those quarterbacks out there. I feel very confident and comfortable in what he's going to be able to do for Georgia this year. And ultimately, you know, we only really saw JT scratch the surface last year. And I want to pull up a quote that he had when we got to, we got to talk to him in April about you know, where does he think he's improved the most in a year and where is he still trying to get to as, again, you know, he continues to get more comfortable in this Georgia offense. And I thought the answer that he gave is really interesting and something that Georgia, quite frankly, needs to get better at. Last April to now, I would say the biggest thing that uh, the, the game is definitely slowing down to a certain extent. I've gotten better at eliminating unnecessary things to look at pre-play. Um, and something else I've been working on is decision-making and, uh, you know, not making bad plays worse, um, which is something that has always been a, a constant improvement for me that I, I always need to emphasize is, you know, guys are going to slip. Someone's going to run a wrong route every now and then. Someone's going to miss protection now and then. Um, and and it's, on, it's on me to not make it worse and compound a mistake and, you know, give a turnover. Uh, incompletions aren't bad. You know, throwaways aren't bad. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I'm working on. And the biggest thing that I've noticed is the game definitely slowing down a little bit with understanding uh, where to go with the ball, 
faster and uh, by seeing less. And so you hear not turning the ball over, learning to make the right play, whether it be throwing the ball away or, or in some cases taking a sack. You know, he didn't do, I think, a great job of that in that game against Cincinnati where there are a couple plays where JT left some points out on the field. You know, you think the long passes to Pickens and Smith, that those are a little bit better. Those are touchdowns. And, and, and then you think the interception that he threw in the end zone. So, uh, yes, JT showed incredible promise last year, but he's still got room to get better, which I think is really exciting. And ultimately why you see him in a lot of first-round mocks right now, but at the same point in time, it, there's a reason he's not a consensus top-five pick, so to speak. And, again, I am required to bring up here a year ago, we all were projecting Jamie Newman to be a first-round draft pick because of what he could potentially do in this offense with this talent around him. And, you know, the circumstances unfolded the way that they do, and ultimately he ends up going undrafted. And quite frankly, there's probably going to be a few undrafted guys that are mentioned in those first-round mock drafts. And I know there's been some pushback in recent days from certain people in the draft community about them and how useless they are. Ultimately, I think people want to read them. They want to, you know, they want more information. There's a, there's a lack of clear information in you know, mock drafts, draft grades, etc. Winners and losers, those fill the void that people want and don't really have. And so I think, you know, JT Daniels seeing him in a mock draft, it is exciting. But at the same point in time, I think Georgia fans and JT Daniels himself know that he can get a lot better. And while, yes, one analyst had him as the number one overall player, he can be, a, I think, a consensus number one player if he goes out and has the season that he could potentially have. There's a reason you've seen a number of different names thrown out there as the number one quarterback. Spencer Rattler, uh, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, Carson Strong out of Nevada. There isn't a consensus number one guy, and really maybe even a consensus number two guy, like you saw with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Now, obviously, Fields ends up going QB4 to the Chicago Bears with the number 11 pick, but... Again, the NFL always needs quarterbacks, and if JT Daniels goes out and improves on the things he can improve upon and plays Georgia to a level where they're in a national championship game and they're doing the things that Alabama, LSU, Clemson have done in recent seasons, he's not going to be there when your team is picking 15th or 10th. He's only going to be there for pick one, maybe pick two, depending on how some of the other guys play out this season. So and I know... Mock drafts are a long way away, but it does go to show what how highly I think people think of JT Daniels. And I think a big reason, you know, tying it back to our second subject tonight, a big reason Mark Schleyball bumped up Georgia above Clemson in his way too early rankings, and I know Stuart Mandel said this as well, just how comfortable JT looked in that spring game. You don't want to take too much away from that, but he looked really, really good, and that's without a full you know, cachet of weapons that he had. No Jermaine Burton, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Arian Smith was in a non-contact jersey. When he gets those guys back, potentially even George Pickens at the end of the year, it's fun to imagine and think what this Georgia offense ultimately might be and where JT Daniels can end up taking them. So that's our third subject for tonight. We're going to turn it over to questions, comments, thoughts. We'll talk about anything you want. We can talk about the the dead off season, you know, potential transport guys, NLI Bill, I'll do my best to answer those questions. So go ahead and ask away and see what you got. Um, Brian Bettinghoff, Connor, any word on one or two transfers into the program? I would expect Georgia to be aggressive in the transfer portal. Uh, they want to get a better idea of, of where their numbers, their numbers are as players finish up classes here in the coming weeks. I believe reading day today is at the University of Georgia meeting finals officially start tomorrow. But 
you think they're? I still believe Georgia's going to go out there and add a a cornerback with starting experience because it, it's just they don't have any on the on the roster right now. And I think if the right wide receiver becomes available, I, I think there's a the potential that they can go out and add him as well. I know you saw Alabama add Jamison Williams from Ohio State. I'm sure Georgia would have liked to have had him, but. You know, is what Jameson Williams brings to this offense all that different from Arian Smith? I don't know. And I think Georgia has a lot of young receivers that it wants to develop along with some veterans that it feels comfortable playing in Kiaris Jackson and Demetrius Robertson to where they maybe don't necessarily need to go out and grab the first wide receiver that comes available. Because I think as we saw with Tyke Smith, you know, his teammate, Drishon Miller, enters the transfer portal, seems like a potential fit for Georgia. Ultimately, he goes to Auburn, and I think Georgia ends up getting a better defensive back in Tyke Smith who will help the secondary in more ways than I think maybe potentially Miller did. And again, you know, in this new age with the transfer portal, you know, again, no one thought Major Burns was really going to enter the portal before this weekend, and ultimately now he's on his way out looking to play elsewhere. This stuff changes and moves really, really quickly. Uh, Davis Painter asked, does the NLI go in effect this year for the state of Georgia? Yes. Uh, Governor Kemp will sign that bill on Thursday morning outside of Sanford Stadium, and it will go into effect starting July 1st. Georgia is one of five states joining, I believe, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, and New Mexico as of right now. And there are several other states that have bills in front of their governor. I know South Carolina and I believe Tennessee do as well, where the governor needs to simply sign it. And then starting July 1st, the NLI bill will be in effect. It'll be interesting to see if there's any sort of federal legislation on this and then ultimately what the NCA decides to do about it. Um, Brian McPhail, got to keep Daniels healthy. Yeah. Uh, as much as we like Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff and even Stetson Bennett around here, it, it, Georgia needs JT Daniels to be healthy and, and get through a season and, and not have any sort of lingering knee issues if they're going to get to where they want to go because while Beck and Vandergriff could potentially get Georgia there one day, Daniels is already that player right now. Uh, let's see. Um, comments, questions, thoughts. Hunter Nixon, Kirby is doing much more than Rick ever did in a much better SEC. Yeah, I, I hope at this point, you know, outside people outside the realm of Georgia, they're going to keep bringing up the Rick thing until ultimately Kirby wins a national championship. But I hope that the educated Georgia fans – Realize and recognize that the Rick smart comparisons don't really hold up all that well. Especially when you, you know, the popular phrase is to compare what Rick was doing at the beginning of his tenure at Georgia. The beginning of Rick's tenure at Georgia wasn't why he got fired. From 2001 to 2008, he was doing just about everything you would want him to do. Two SEC titles, you know, if there was a playoff in 2007, they'd probably go. Obviously, 2008 and 2006 were a little bit of disappointments, but they were competing and up there every year, where Georgia, I think, quite similarly is now. It was that end of the era with Rick where things really turned, where they weren't competitive. They couldn't keep Alabama close. They lost 38-10, to 10, I believe, when they played in 2015. They got blown out by Florida. Those losses kept piling up for Rick in a way that they really haven't outside of South Carolina for Kirby Smart. So, you know, the, the 23 draft picks, which again is a record for a three-year window uh, at the University of Georgia. I, again, Georgia fans, I, I hope that they don't get triggered and just take solace in the fact that Anyone that is saying Kirby Smart is Mark Rick 2.0 just fundamentally doesn't understand, A, what Kirby Smart is doing, and B, what Mark Rick did at the beginning of his tenure in Georgia, which was not why he got fired. It was, again, because of what happened in, say, 2013, 2014, and 2015. Uh, let's see. Uh, what incoming freshmen is from uh, New Rock Prep TV. What incoming freshman will be an impact player this fall? 
It's tough to say impact player in terms of starter because that's how Kirby Smart considers it. I will say a name for me to keep an eye on would be Brock Bowers. I think he brings something different to that tight end room. You know, Darnell Washington and John Fitzpatrick, those are big guys. Lumberers, guys that play traditionally on land, though Georgia did show is willing to get creative with Darnell in the spring game. Brock can do a lot of things athletically, and I'll be really interested to see how they go about using him and employing him in the passing game. Someone who came in and had a really, really impressive spring practice, three catchers in that G-Day game. I think he's someone, and I have to mention him here, Donnie Mitchell, just given how he played in that spring game, seven catches, 103 yards. Wasn't perfect on that day by any, by any means, but showed that he's pretty clearly an SEC receiver. I just wonder if you know it might take a year or two for him to really develop into that big-time player, just given what Georgia has in front of him with guys like Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, uh, Dominic Blaylock coming back as well. Um, let's see. Scrolling through questions here. Um, Ref- Reformation Logistics. Yeah, it, that Clemson game, it's going to be close. I, I, I think, you know... These two teams are going to play each other a certain way. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I think it might be something like 24 or 17. First team to 20, I think, wins that game. I think Georgia's going to throw a lot at DJ Uwe on the way. And, again, big thing there is just going to be getting him on the ground. And, conversely, Clemson's going to be able to pressure Georgia in that game. They're going to have to find ways to keep that pass rush off balance. That means, I think, being a good running team that day. And and so it's going to be, again, I think because of the way these two teams match up against each other in particular, I, you know, I could certainly see Clemson winning, you know, if things go the wrong way for Georgia, maybe even potentially in, in bigger fashion. But these two teams, I think, are, are real mirror images of each other, at least at this point in the year. And it'll be interesting to see how that game ultimately plays out. You could tell me Clemson wins. You could tell me Georgia wins. I believe either way right now. I, I will say, if you're asking me, would you rather have JT Daniels or DJ Uyengale? Give me JT Daniels, and I know you know the national media might not necessarily agree with that, but I think JT Daniels is as good as it gets at the college football level right now. Um, Brian McPhail, yeah, got to win against Clemson. It's not a must win. They can win out, but then that means winning the SEC championship, something Georgia wasn't able to do in 2018 when it ran into Alabama, and you figure just with the way the West is sort of set up right now. I know BA is a big... Texas A&M fan. I am not necessarily as high in them. They lost a lot in their offense and defensive lines, and while, yes, they do still have talent there, if everyone is, if Calum Mond is as good as everyone thinks that he is, there's going to be some drop-off there at the quarterback position this year. Texas A&M still doesn't have great wide receiver play. Really, I think, similar in a lot of ways to that 2019 Georgia, and so I'm not quite willing to believe in them just yet. And so with that in mind, I, I do think ultimately Alabama has the talent to get back to that SEC championship game. And they might not be the die. I doubt that the dominant team that they were that we saw a season ago in college football, but they're still going to be a very, very tough out. Um, let's see. Um, if we can get one more good question, that'll be great. Uh, Brian McPhail, yeah, this would be a good one to um, go out of here on. Are we going to get most of the injured receivers back for game one this year except for Pickens? So I believe Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint will be back, especially with what we heard at the end of spring practice with Kirby saying he was close with seeing him dressed out. Jermaine Burton, obviously that answer will be yes. Arian Smith as well. Dominic Blaylock, I'll be interested to see if he is. You know, I, Again, I've spoken time and time again of how good of a worker Dom is, and I have no doubts that he's doing everything he can in, in rehab. But with what Georgia has on offense this year, and it's a little bit more known at the wide receiver position than he'd say it was even a season ago, 
as big as and important as this Clemson game is, I don't know if you necessarily need to rush Dom back to have him out there on the field. I think you can allow him to be comfortable. And because of that, it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't play in that first game. Ultimately, I I could certainly believe him believe him and seeing him out there. And he's absolutely good enough to be able to make a difference in that game. You think back to his freshman year touchdown catches against Auburn, against Florida, and Georgia's biggest games that season. He always seemed to take his game up a level. A level. But you know, coming off a second ACL injury, I think similarly to how they were with Zamir White in 2019, I believe, they're going to be cautious with bringing him back. And so, you know, Pickens definitely not. Dominic Playock, if I if you force me to make a bet on it, I, I would say he does not record a catch in that first game. Doesn't mean he doesn't necessarily play, but I don't think he's going to be a big part of Georgia's game plan. So, um, and you know what? With that... Uh, Jay Shapes, a and going from fourth in the country to fourth in the SEC West. I, I mean, certainly I think you could see that if LSU makes a leap forward, if Ole Miss uh, surprises some people this year, you could certainly see that happening. I still think they're probably my number two team in the West, but I, 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 this isn't to me right now shaping up to be a great SEC year. Certainly in the East with how many of those teams are down. Kentucky, I think, might be a team that is the second best team in the SEC East. But we'll wrap there. You know, it's BA. You know, we're all products of BA here on video. And so, of course, we end talking about Texas A&M more than Georgia at the end of the show. But my name is Connor Riley. You guys can follow me on Twitter at KConnorRiley. We'll have a ton of video content throughout the rest of the week. You have Before the Hedges tomorrow night with Jeff Sintel. Thursday, I believe we are going to do a cover four, but I'm not 100% sure on that just yet. Obviously, Dog Nation Daily every Monday through Friday. You've got Mike's on the beat on Monday night. He's going to have a special thing for you guys on Friday as well. So, ton of video content still coming. And as we sort of led off the top of the show here, there is no college football offseason. So, we're going to have plenty of stuff to talk about in the coming weeks. Hopefully not too many guys entering the transfer portal or, or guys rumored to be doing so. But it's going to be a fun offseason. We're going to get you through there. I think we have 18 more Saturdays until Georgia takes on Clemson. So, we're, we're, we're chopping wood here, making it through it. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This has been another episode of Connor and Coverage. We'll be back next Tuesday night at uh, 8 p.m., our usual spot. You can check us out on the various podcast flat platforms, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you find your podcast. That's where we'll be. My name is Connor Riley. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in.